We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You'll never sing that. You'll never sing that. Champions of Twitter, you'll never sing that. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, look, we have been champions of lots of things in our time. We have been champions of England. We have been champions of the FA Cup. Champions of the Charity Shield, dare I say. There, look, the one thing that we clearly dominate and have dominated and continue to dominate is Twitter. And whether you do Twitter or don't do Twitter, and I can certainly side with either end of that argument. There are days when I think, uh, why would I want to be on this hell site? And other days where I think, how is this hell site still free? Um, But the one thing we know is Arsenal dominate that social media platform. And never has that been more apparent than over the last couple of days after the kerfuffle that was kicked up by the uh, North London Derby postponement. We will devote most of our time today to discussing that, the rules, the way it impacted everyone, the way it impacts us. We will look ahead, though, to some actual football and bid a fond farewell to Pablo Marie. We knew you, I would say, better than I wish we had, to be fair, uh, but some may feel differently. Handsome bastard that he is. Um, we probably won't touch on the Yang thing. Obviously, some rumors of, of heart trouble. We wish him a speedy recovery. It doesn't feel like an urgent, pressing Arsenal issue at the moment, to be fair. And whatever salacious rumors are out there, given that there's also health issues at stake, and he has sort of tweeted that he's got health, his health to worry about, and that's of primacy. We can sort of respect that, I think, and, and move on from that. So let's dive into the fun, though. Let's celebrate the weekend that was, even without football, uh, Arsenal, I think, delighted us in some ways this weekend. And here to discuss that with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hold pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hold Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Storberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Look, everybody on Twitter has their own cup of tea. The the accounts they like, the accounts they don't, the accounts they block. Obviously, me being chief among them. Um, I have to admit that Kickars, Kiki, he's one of my favorites. He's an account that I uh, I look to in these troubled times. He always seems to have the have the goods. Kickars HD is is his thing, and he just um 
he just does a brilliant job of making light of the hypocrisy and the the tears. I enjoyed that. But another Twitter account that you may want to follow if you want to see someone fighting the good fight on behalf of Arsenal on Twitter is Stilberto. Uh, Tim, you decided to take up the cause this weekend. And I, for one, want to celebrate you. I want to applaud you. And I want to ask you, how much did you enjoy it and what inspired you in this moment to uh, to take up the mantle of Defender of Arsenal on Twitter? <laughs> so are you saying that I don't usually do that? No, no, that's fair enough. Um, I, I just, I guess the thing is, um, and, and I think, you know, Clive was the one with the viral tweet on the subject. Here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was going to get to that. I was going to get to that. The beginning of the weekend. And, and I think Clive was absolutely right that <clears throat> like Sky absolutely sets the agenda for what we all talk about. And one of the things I, I used to not, not rave against, but point out was how often on Monday morning their feed is full of this referee did this. And it like really like informs the, co- like the conversation on social media anyway. Um, and, and I think, you know, Sky all of a sudden being very, very concerned about games being called off and very, very concerned about fans and things like that. Like, honestly, so I'll go into ways where I can see both sides of this. Not that I necessarily accept both sides, but I can see both sides in a minute. But Sky can fuck all the way off with their, oh, what about the fan? Like, fuck off. Like, absolutely fuck off. You you completely rescind your right to talk about that whatsoever. You are the worst transgressors when it comes to that. So fuck off. Don't talk about that, please. Have mm. some, have some, like, have some self-respect and self-reflect a little bit before talking about stuff like that. But I guess, like, so let me do the devil's advocate kind of way. I I can understand why maybe this feels like a straw that breaks the camel's back with postponements, and I get, you know, Arsenal only have one COVID case, and they've just loaned out a couple of players and stuff like that. Like, I do get that angle. Um, I do, honestly. But the whole time, it's like, so your problem is with the rules, not like not with Arsenal. And I also get that Arsenal are a bigger club than Leicester. So, of course, more people care when Arsenal do it than Leicester, as they did for their game against Burnley. And as Burnley are, are trying to do for their game against Watford on Tuesday evening, like, I'm not stupid. I, I get that it's bigger news for a North London derby. And it's bigger news than when Wolves did it, when we were about to play them and things like that. But, like, the, just the amount of pearl clutching and fainting couches and stuff like that. Like it honestly blew my mind. And I know I'm not without my bias here, but it, it, I did find it quite remarkable and I was genuinely really surprised and Spurs as well. So I'm going to speculate here because I don't know this Spurs aren't as upset about this postponement as they're making out because they've got players missing um, as well. Um, I, I don't think they're nearly as upset. I think they're they're jumping on the bandwagon a bit. They're thinking, oh, we can get a bit of cachet with our fans. We can pretend we really, really wanted this game to go ahead. I don't think they really did. I think probably they're fine with this. Um, and, well, I, I guess, to be fair, Eric Dyer is unavailable, which would make it a more opportune time for them to play. But there we go. And maybe that's one of the reasons Arsenal really didn't want the game played. They want to be absolutely clear that Eric Dyer is going to be available. But it was just like, come on, guys. Like, And the amount of people, and to be fair, this isn't just um, restricted to this weekend just gone. A lot of people haven't bothered to read this rule, um, which is quite baffling because it's actually not I mean, to a fault, it doesn't have a lot of legalese in it. It is actually quite easy to understand, which is why one of the reasons it's quite easy to exploit, (laughs) because it doesn't look like a lawyer's seen it. Um, 
but it, it's quite easy to understand. So as well, when all this stuff came out about like, oh, Le- Leeds have got like six teenagers on the bench. Like, yeah, but Leeds have 13 players and a goalkeeper with professional experience. That is the rule. And then Marcelo Bielsa comes out after the game and says, well, we didn't apply for a postponement because we didn't meet the threshold. And it's like, what more do you need? Just go and read the fucking rule. And a lot of people just kind of pearl clutching and not doing that. And and like, if this had turned into a wider debate about the rule itself, I'd have been all for that. And I wouldn't have taken that personally. Um, but like a lot of this kind of, oh, Arsenal are doing it's just like fuck all the way off with that, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, I think that's well, well summarized. Um, now, look, Clive, you are someone who has a platform, you know, a platform to share your opinion mm-hmm. and to do it in a thoughtful way. It's a big, big platform, and not everybody has this platform, but you do. And of course, just to be clear, I'm talking about the platform of replying to a tweet. Uh, of Gary Neville's. Um, oh, yes. That is your giant platform. Um, I, I thought I, this was a Manscaped ad, I swear to God. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the big, big platform that you take good care of. Why not both? Um, but I, I'm joking, but Clive did have a, a viral reply to Gary Neville. Um, and it, all, all kidding aside, I mean, I, I think th- – there is fun to be had here. We'll get to the fun in just a bit because I, th- I think I am the one who can make light of any situation and just have fun with it. But, uh, Paul, I, I, I would include you in that group. All of us are really in that group deep down. Um, but, like, I think the issue that, that I have here is that two things can be true. If you want to know my God's honest deep down thought, I think it's kind of bullshit that we got the game postponed. But I think we got the game postponed because the rules are bad. And for us to not exploit the rules to our benefit when other clubs are would just make us the to, you know, the too good, the goody two-shoes again. The the team that won't surround the ref, the team that won't engage in the dark arts. Like Liverpool, Liverpool went way beyond what we did, if if you really believe that they manipulated the system. And the irony is, if, they, if anyone wants to be mad, they should be mad at Liverpool. Because Liverpool getting the first leg of the League Cup rearranged is the domino that gets all these dominoes to fall and probably leads to us doing this. Because the Shaka suspension probably puts us over the edge where we're like, you know what, we got to find a way to get out of this game. So it is kind of funny when you look at it that we wind up being the one that everyone's ire is drawn at. But I don't. I just don't see how you can say to a club, don't exploit a rule that is exploitable to your benefit when other clubs have been doing it. And so I can understand. And you, you know what? Just by the way, I think a deep down part of this, Clive, is people wanted to get up Sunday, have a drink, go to a pub, do whatever they do. People have been deprived of their lives, their social lives, and football is still there. And people wanted to watch a North London Derby on Sky, a big Super Sunday matchup, and they were pissed that it wasn't on. And Sky was pissed they didn't have it to show, and people were just annoyed. They're annoyed that their fun diversion wasn't going to be on without really thinking about, does it make any sense for Arsenal not to request this? So, like, is it fair, Clive, to say the rules let the game down, but Arsenal would have to be absolutely out of their mind to not exploit the rules to their benefit in the way that others have. Yeah, Arsenal are a football club. We're not a charity, right? We're not giving away points. We already gave three points to Everton. That's enough. Right, so I think from the... If you think back, the rule, I think, and Tim will correct me, or maybe the one of you correct me, was brought in because there were teams that were looking to stop playing, full stop. And so they brought this rule in to say, look, if there are exceptional circumstances, then we can have a look at it on a, on a case-by-case basis. And that's what people have done. So they, they put a request in, and the league decide if it's if it's correct or not, and, and they react accordingly. So I I was really, really, my reply to Gary Neville was really focused around the first game of the season, actually, 
Remember when we all saw that team sheet and there was nobody on it over the age of 23? <laughs> That's what it felt like. And um, and we tried to convince ourselves that this young forward line would be okay, but you know they weren't ready for it at that moment in time. And and we got beat. And not only did we got beat, we got beat in front of the whole nation, the only game on. And I just looked around and everyone seemed to be dancing on our grave. And I'm thinking, hold on a minute here. We've had a completely disruptive preparation. That bled into Chelsea and, and then we basically picked up we gave Man City the points and had to reset and zero points, you know, three games, nine goals conceded. That's not a time that many of us will forget, right? So no one cared about us then. And so suddenly, you know, I felt I had to say something back because while they were singing, they're literally singing when we were, were getting beaten, right? So mm. I, I haven't got, I've got a memory for that stuff, right? So basically Tim's covered a lot of this. It's, what it does tell me, though, maybe this is something to think about. Um, there's been a lack of relevancy about Arsenal in the last few, couple of years. And what this tells me is that I think we're relevant again. Mm. You know, we're relevant. I think people can see that we've got a half-decent 14 players and we're going to get better. And pe- people are looking at us in a slightly different way. And I, I think this is good, right? I think I don't like it. And we react and everyone's reacting the same way. And crikey, talk about unified fan base. This is a joke, right? But, <laughs> but you know, I think it's everybody feeling pretty okay about the club. and saying, nah, I'm not having this. I, and people have got memories and they can read and they can record. There's information. And they can defend the club properly, and appropriately, and I would, and that's what people have done. And I, I'm fully behind it. And I don't. If ever, I think in Germany they play every game. I've heard. And if we did that, and we end up in this bad situation, and we had to play a younger team, even younger than we already have, but everyone's doing the same, then you get something more equitable. But when you have this situation, why pick on Arsenal? I think not just us, but many people felt the same. Yeah, yeah. I think, Paul, that the the extent to which the focus is on Arsenal, it, it's hard to know why it is. I mean, I know we all are wired to believe it's because everyone's out to get Arsenal, and maybe there is some truth to that. I don't know that I believe that. I think it is people just being children, throwing their toys out of the pram. You took away my fun game I was going to watch on Sunday, right? I mean, if it was Arsenal-Burnley on a Thursday night, or if it was Arsenal-Southampton on the same day that Chelsea was playing City, I don't think people would complain. I think they're complaining because it's the lone decent game on a Sunday, and it's a fun game, and everybody looks forward to it, and so it got a lot of attention that way. I do wonder if you think that the Arsenal part of it is relevant, or if it is just sort of the bad luck of the timing, and then I kind of want to deal with where we go from here, because clearly if people are going to express this kind of outrage, they are now kind of take-locked. What I mean is they're sort of required to express this outrage every time a team exploits the rules, but teams are going to continue to exploit the rules because why wouldn't you? So anyone who expressed their outrage now is kind of stuck in the outrage cycle, so I don't know what they do. So do do you think it's an Arsenal thing, firstly, or just the timing of the game and people's disappointment and Sky's disappointment, or do do you think there's a little something else to it? Um, I, there's definitely an Arsenal component to it in that we're big enough that they can, that we're attractive to knock, but not so big that they're afraid of us. Um, we're the perfect size to have a go at a big, a big club, but 
you know, it doesn't have Alex Ferguson having the ear of the officials and the league and stuff. We're not quite big enough uh, to be afraid of us and the, the kickback, the blowback. Um, I guess my take on all of this is player welfare should come first. It doesn't. I don't think that's why they put these rules together. It's about the product. It's about... Um, Just look at head injuries if you think player welfare yeah. comes first. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. But the rules are now written and they imply player welfare. And, you know, uh, Gary Neville's tweet is a gem. I should have said something three or four weeks ago, but I didn't. Yeah, but you didn't. And I'm everybody. Give him real quick, and, and I think it's James Gunnerblog who pointed this out. Apparently, he did have some tweet three or four weeks ago, sort of vaguely gesturing towards this. Yeah, but, that's the yeah. amount of credit I'd get, give him. A vague <laughs> tweet, kind of. The fact that he has to say, I should have said something three or four weeks ago, tells you he didn't really say anything of any import with any emphasis in the spotlight. But hey, North London Derby coming up. Um, let's go for it. The fellas who were dancing with Brentford. Um, like, doesn't he remember what happened to us at Brentford? We've already coughed up our three points. We've already taken it in the neck. Um, I, I think the league can actually thank us for the fact that Arteta all the way through uh, said the right things, did the right things, was committed to putting out a team. As long as the integrity of the team and player welfare were protected. Now, we may not have wanted to play this game because we thought this was a bad game to play given our situation. Um, I can't say what our primary concern was. I'm sure that was a part of it. We looked at it and said, holy fuck, we've no midfield. This is bad. But also, we made that decision Thursday night. Um, we might have submitted it on Friday, but this is a decision you make Thursday night after you're literally carrying your 10 men off the pitch. Uh, two or three of whom have niggles. You don't know where you're going to be, but you got to make a decision Thursday night. You have a guy coming back from COVID. You don't know if you're got, you'll get another COVID case or two. Uh, with the Aubameyang situation, you see what happens when people come back with COVID. You, you, after COVID, you don't quite know what situation you're going to be in Friday and you get a decision on Saturday. you got to make a spot decision and say protect the players. I think the other uh, – and you – Push people to play with niggles and in, and possible injuries or like run to the bone. Like Spurs have had three postponements already. Even as it stands, they've played two less games than us. And they've had, that was in the Premier League, I think I'm right in saying. And then in the European competitions, they've had one game called off. That's four games they've had called off. They've even been thrown out of the worst competition that they had any chance of getting a, a trophy in for not showing up. So... Like, they've had all that rest, and it came at a time when they got Antonio Conte in so they could practice on the training ground. So they've had all the benefits. And here we are. Everybody's had their postponements. We're over the Christmas period. We're into the January period. People are catching their breath. And we're running on fumes with injured guys, guys with niggles, a, uh, a COVID case or two. And like the manager says, got to protect the team. Uh, got to protect the players like the league needs a good arsenal for the rest of the league and we've got to protect our players and so i'm 100 percent in on it on that and the other thing i thought was a real issue with gary neville's uh, tweet was he called out the maitland niles and the uh, uh fuller and balligan loans now again player welfare he's saying we should 
be canceling and delaying those loans, which might not mean which might mean they may not happen. Bloody Maitland Niles has already played for Rome at this point. What we're like, we've seen good loans and bad loans. You don't get in the way of a young man. Uh, of all the people, Gary Neville should understand the importance to. Balogun to get the right loan. We've seen enough bad loans at ours. Are you hammering the desk to make your point? You feel very impassioned, but I'm also hearing the 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 passion in your in your fists. It's actually my shoe. I've got a replica <laughs> United pet- Nations. On the desk. Yes, banging my shoe um, in a Russian premier style. Uh, Fair very enough. forceful. People, mm-hmm. I think you'll find in the comments people like this. Yes. Yes. Um, um, where was I? Oh, yeah. I was upset about something. <laughs> I was very upset about stuff, and it needs to stop. But the idea that Arsenal should, uh, just to be safe in the future in case something might go wrong in terms of COVID, uh, hold back on loans that might not then happen. Like, I have a theory on that, though. And one last point. like mm-hmm. Even if we could hold it to the end of the month, you're basically screwing your players because – Balogun's going to need like two, three, four weeks to get with the new plan, with the new team, get fit, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's March. By March, the, whatever team he's playing for, uh, what is it, Burra, um, is going to say, uh, actually, we're going to go with our settled 11 because we've only a few games left and we need, you know, he doesn't have a month to throw away and the club shouldn't do that to him. So yeah. player welfare comes first. Here's my here's my think, thinking on that. When someone who you think of as being reasonably intelligent, and you know Gary Neville, I I, I think his analysis is pretty good. I think he's a pretty sharp guy. When people you you generally feel pretty decent about their their intellect, make arguments that really do not have any logical justification. It usually is a sign that their main argument has no leg to stand on, and that they are trying to fabricate support for it. And what I mean is, I saw people argue loans should be recalled. Doesn't make any sense. I also saw people say our inter- our players on international duty should be recalled. I, t- I think Tim was fighting back. They'd be banned if we did that. You literally can't do that. And when play- people are making that argument, you know what it tells me? It tells me they know their underlying argument is not supportable, is not, is not logical. But they're so angry and they're so frustrated that they're trying to backfill their unsupportable argument with explanations that, that aren't logical. Um, yeah, can I just say, this is just a symptom of the one big thing that we, well, I believe that we all know that basically there's too much football. And looking forward, one of the big things that needs to happen is our football calendar needs to be sorted out. We've yeah. got we've got FIFA, we've got UEFA, we've got EFL, FA, we've got you know expanded Euros, you know two year World Cups, Afcon. I mean, all of this is pulling on a similar group of players, and that's the real issue. And so Gary Neville and people like him should be talking about player welfare, the fact that we are running these players into the ground. And your TV companies are moving schedules around. I mean, I don't know how many times Tim's had to make... Tim, you know about away fans leaving grounds almost before the end of the game to get the last train back. this This is a common occurrence, right? This is not... This is this is not right. This is not right, and it, something needs to change here. You know, there is just too much, and that's why clubs are taking this opportunity to rest people down, look after people. You know, what if Bukayo Saka gets a, 
the crucial that period did and at the critical time of his career and when he missed the World Cup. I'll never forgive them. <laughs> never forgive him. Do you see what I mean? And lose two years of his career. It's not right. And that's the real issue for me. Thanks for putting that in the world, though. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's the, but that's, <laughs> you, but that's the real you issue. You know Gary Neville, football. right? He's a mate of yours. You've met him. I've met <laughs> yeah. him. Why don't you tell him when you guys hang out? <laughs> and he is excellent. Let's not mess about, right? He's one of the top, top people. But he knows how to make a point. He knows how to create great momentum look what he did to the super league right he literally did that he kicked that off himself he has that power he is a campaigner and um but mate get your facts right you might want to get a message across arsenal's a great medium but also people are not going to sit there and just uh stay quiet no i mean no team maybe maybe only Leeds suffered as much as we did against brentford i mean i'll put it this way i don't think i think the rule should have been and I think the rule should be no postponements, period, under any conditions. You play. You play with whoever you can put out there. If you have to write a one-day contract for a player from League Four, y- you write it. No postponements, period. Because every season has a story, and every season is disrupted by something. Spurs had a season disrupted hilariously. Champions League opportunity, thanks to bad lasagna. They didn't get the postponement for that. We didn't get a postponement when you know we had players going down, getting their ankles broken. We didn't get postponements, you know, when when we had, well, I mean, just earlier this season against Brentford, obviously, but we've had seasons wrecked by injuries, depleted squads, players off at the African Cup of Nations. The fact is every every league has its, its uh, every season has its story. And this, this COVID thing is part of the story. And, I, you know, I think if you look at the NFL, and again, a lot of things that are very, very bad about that league, but basically their attitude is you're going to play the game. Find players. You're going to play the game. We know this thing is here. Manage it the best you can. Tim, I, I do want to get to that. Um, that that question of what the rule should be mm-hmm. um, and whether there is time now for them to change this because the the scary thing has to be for the league that like teams are teams are going to catch on to this, which is if you can't beat them, join them. And there's going to be a lot of chicanery and tomfoolery and manipulating of the rules. Uh, you know, one COVID case, and oh, we think we might have a bunch of others. We're waiting for the test to come back, but we've also got these guys injured. Like, can you move the game? And like, the calendar's just going to get thrown into disarray. The TV companies are going to start getting furious because they can't, you know, sell their advertising for it. And the fans are going to be furious because they can't plan their schedule, not to mention the the global fans who, you know, book flights and hotels and all that to be at games. So, mm-hmm. so do you think, what do you think the rule should be? And do you think there's any possibility in the sense of fairness that they change it mid-season. Yeah, sure. So I think that I've, I've said this before. I think the rule absolutely should be pr- pretty much what you said, Elliot. I I think it should be if you've got like uh, I think I think the the um, principle of having thirteen available players is a sound one. You need substitutes for kind of health and safety reasons. Um, but if you've got thirteen players on professional contracts who are available, you play. That's what I think it should be. That's what it is in the FA Cup. What happened in the FA Cup third round last week, and and the FA Cup third round takes in a lot of levels of football. Like Kidderminster played and won um, in the FA Cup third round. All of the games were played. All of them were played. They they all had teams for that, us included. We had a team for that. It wasn't a very good one, and we got knocked out, but tough shit. That's that's how it goes. And particularly with, you, you could say with cup football, with knockout football, there's, there's maybe more latitude for that. But I think the Premier League rules should have been more in line with that. I think the idea of integrity is a nice one, but it doesn't match up with reality. 
Um, pretty much no league season has integrity because of injuries anyway. Like, what if you get 10 players injured? Well, you get on with it, don't you? You don't like the idea that every team plays every season under identical conditions is, is just that's not the real world that there's nation states owning football teams there is no integrity um broadcasters decide whether you play three games in six days or three games in eight days that's Mm. integrity gone right there we're not allowed to talk about that because the tv companies put a lot of money in but it does impact the integrity of the league simple as so i think that's a a bit of a nonsense argument quite frankly so I i think that should be the rule as to whether they can change it now i don't really think so um, because I mean, I mean, they could draw a bit of a line in the sand and say, okay, enough's enough. Um, you know, we're not doing this anymore. And, and I, I guess there'd be some justification for that. What, what I'd say is I, I think that's unlikely because they've kind of hitched their post to this integrity thing. And I think they're going to hitch their post to treating everyone the same. What I would say is I do think that this will pass because, um, like nearly every, I don't mean to be glib about this, nearly every Premier League footballer has had COVID in the last month, haven't they? Like mm-hmm. immunity must be pretty high at the moment yep. and cases are going down. I also think there will be less cynicism because we're through the kind of the, the Christmas aspect um, and we're coming into the part of the season where there's European ties again. And so a lot of these big clubs um, aren't, aren't going to want games rearranged. And and like everyone now has pretty much had at least one game postponed that they've got to squeeze in. We've got a few to squeeze in. I don't think the incentive is there for clubs to, to, to do that. I think like getting a game maybe on December the 28th shit canned so you can play it in March. That makes some sense if you're being cynical. At this point, it doesn't because you've probably got two or three games to rearrange already. And particularly Mm -hmm. if you're a club in Europe, then that's that. So I don't think the rule will change. And I have to say, I do think that this is maybe famous last words. I do think that this is a bit of a January problem that, that will kind of go away um as uh, for for multitude reasons but largely because omicron you know thankfully it looks like certainly in the uk anyway cases are coming down we're seeing they've just released the testing data for this week as well in the premier league it's the third consecutive week it's come down still quite high but down mm-hmm. um and so i i, I th- and you know like i said who left <laughs> who is there left to get omicron in the premier league poor fuckers um, I, I think perhaps um, the more serious conversation here is um, what are we expecting player welfare wise here? Because, you know, we're seeing like there are, there are going to be players now who've had COVID twice. And what impact does that have on your overall health? And, you know, things like heart inflammation and stuff like that, which I don't know, we might talk a little bit about with Aubameyang later. Like, are we just taking for granted that once you're, you test negative, you're fine to play again? Um, that, that for me is a bit of a concern in the second half of the season. And I do think we'll get more injuries because games being postponed last minute is bad for players when you're ramping up to a game and then like 24 hours before it, it's, it's canned. That's bad. Um, and I think we'll probably see more injuries. And I would like to see the Premier League be a bit more proactive, maybe about short-term contracts, temporary mm. loan recalls and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think the the problem you have now in trying to get this season in and finished with some semblance of fairness is that, I mean, I, and I, I think Paul put this in the chat, like, 
maybe you just have to use the end of the African Cup of Nations to reset here. Um, there, there's going, there's going to need to be some kind of agreement among the clubs that, that this doesn't work. I cannot help but look back on what Liverpool did and say, this is what got the ball rolling. I do think this, if someone listening wants to start a Twitter account that will get a huge following for free, it would be media personalities taking L's from battling with Arsenal Twitter. Because the number of people that went after Arsenal for this on Twitter and then had to post sort of those snarky, uh, I guess that's my lesson learned about saying something negative about Arsenal. <laughs> like There were a lot of people. And look, I'm sorry to laugh because I'm sure there were some people that, that behaved in a very, very poor way who shouldn't have. But like some of it was actually quite funny. And like there were there were a lot of people on Twitter wishing they hadn't dug out Arsenal for this after... Um, well, we had a lot wait. of time on our hands at the weekend. <laughs> we didn't our- have anything going on. That's true. We could laugh a little bit at United. Maybe we'll have time to do that. Look, if the league wants to get this season done, maybe the best thing they could do is find a way to get the clubs the extra players they need in a pinch. And like maybe, you know, just throwing it out there, Premier League, you could partner with Indeed. Because if you need to get great talent, you need Indeed. Right? They're the one place you can attract, interview, and hire all at once. And they're the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. So, you know, you post a site, footballer, COVID negative test, show up at the toilet bowl on Sunday, could have played the game. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match assessment and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for the quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. So you post, you know, we need someone to play in the North London Derby. They show up. You know, if Arsenal lose, maybe, maybe they don't get paid. That could be a good business model, period, by the way. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent, according to Comscore, the number one job site worldwide. Four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Three million businesses worldwide use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit. Upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. To claim your $75 sponsored job credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Clive. Get it right this time. Is that enough of that? Indeed. <laughs> now, is that good? <laughs> Clive, are you ready to move on from this? I, I mean, I am I'm sort of ready to talk about Arsenal. Are you? Yeah, yeah, let's do it, man. Come okay. On. So let's do it. Clive, Manchester United. Pretty, pretty funny what's happening there, huh? Well, yeah. So let's let's put our hands up, right? Because when Ralph Rangnick, when we were concerned about the direction of the club, we were thinking, get someone like Ralph Rangnick in. Not, not in this role, by the way, but because we, you know, we like the, the sound of his brain, shall we say, from a distance. But managing a football club on the sidelines is, is completely different. And managing dressing rooms is a challenge in modern football. And we judge managers on how they can manage groups of young millionaires and he's struggling and um may night are struggling and their recruitment strategy their their structure everything is not looking great the sad thing is there's a couple of players that i really really like and they're like marcus rashford for example he seems to be struggling massively as an individual you know people like greenwood being mismanaged talent super talent got old men ahead of him blocking his blocking his pathway 
Scully Vanderbeek. I mean, crikey, what a waste of a career! You, you know, you get out of there quickly, mate, because you you might you can actually play, but you got you picked the wrong team. He's he's an advert for players using stats to find their own team rather than just joining a team with a big name. So, um, so yeah, so there's, there's an opportunity here, isn't there, for us as we know, and um. The biggest danger we have is the schedule, and it's meant to be our friend. But the upcoming will the schedule, will these postponements cost us in a year when we're not in Europe, and the schedule should be a real advantage for us? I'm not sure, but it feels as though if I'm the club, I'm looking at our squad seriously. There's an opportunity, and we need to look at our squad, look at our active players, make sure they are active. Make sure you have those behind closed door friendlies because there could be a period where we are really in a squeeze and we need to come through it in good shape. So that's my thoughts anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think um I think the best news about what's happening with Manchester United is just that like they were the they were the club that it concerned me if they could, you know, sort of wake up and get it right that realistically should have the easiest run at top four. And they're in the middle of a very easy run of fixtures and they've made a bit of a meal of it. And as a result, or I guess you would say a dog's breakfast of it. And as a result, like I'm not saying they're they're out of the running because anything can happen this season, but now it looks more like Spurs, I think are the biggest challenge and their manager isn't sure he still wants to stay there. (laughs) So, I mean, weirdly we kind of look like, the tranquil team by comparison. I, I want to talk a little bit about cautionary tales though, because you know, United maybe are a bit of a cautionary tale, but Paul, you know what an interesting cautionary tale is, is Everton. Um mm-hmm. this is and it's funny, you can make an argument on both sides of the ledger, but I think Everton are the example of how getting it wrong with a manager it, you know, can can really rot the club from the inside out. And also why giving that manager power, if you're not convinced you've got the right guy is dangerous because Benitez got rid of important key people within the organization. I could say those people were terrible. So that was probably good. He also sold Luca Dean, Dina, however you want to say it, Luca Dina. Um, and now he's out. And you talk about a marriage that was meant for divorce from the day it happened. You know, it's like marrying your worst enemy and being confused as to why it didn't work out. But like, I'm curious how you look at Everton because that is a team, a club that like, doesn't seem to have their shit together with spending, has lucked into a few, you know, good young players that presumably are not going to want to stay there the way things are going, can't really figure it out from the managerial standpoint, has committed to people that clearly don't deserve that commitment and made decisions that have come back to bite them. Like, and they have money and they should be better than this. And like, they they just seem like a cautionary tale about why we sort of bang on about being a well-run club and being a smart club because the only reason Everton are as bad as they are, it's not financial, they could compete. It's not that they're not a big enough club with a big enough stature to compete. They're just a complete shit show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they just saw Luca Digne, as you said, but to Aston Villa, who just used him to beat Man United. Yeah, so um, thank you for that. <laughs> we, all, we all applaud you. <laughs> yeah, and like Aston Villa are very much a rival to Everton. So Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess they need him out of there. They're definitely a cautionary tale of somebody basically doing everything wrong while spending a shitload of money, so much money that they're in a financial straitjacket for a while. Um, A lot of expensive players they brought in, so they got all that amortization of the fees and wages that came with it. No real identity. Uh, Five managers, I think, four or five managers in the last 
four years or something. I think it's five managers in four years. Um, no consistent player strategy. They had um, the fellow from Leicester, the director of football, as what Steve Walsh, isn't it? They had Brand yep. in, so they had two very good directors of football that they saw the backs of. Um, but while they were in, the decision-making by those guys wasn't great, which is probably because the organization they're within, uh, you know, they're trying to serve too many masters. Moshiri is in there. Uh, it's his money. He's doing an Abramovich in that he's having a major say in who they buy, how they buy, who the manager will be. Um, taking the manager's side over the director of football, they're, they're a great cautionary tale of everything you don't want to be and maybe kind of what we thought we might kind of be, apart from the manager being or the owner being too involved, we thought we had the opposite problem of the owner not being involved enough. <clears throat> but somehow we seem to have got ourselves mostly aligned. Time will tell and it feels like we're on the right track. Um, and you look at how badly it can go while spending a shitload of money badly, locking yourself into decisions long-term badly, means there's no easy way for them to get out of this for a while. Um, and, you know, the top half of the table is going to have a lot of well-resourced, well-run teams. Um, and everything's got a... They got that big stadium move coming in a few years' time, which will be another curveball for them. Um, and, and, like, that's not going to help the... The, they're going to have a lot of issues with the faithful who already have no trust in the ownership, um, have issues with the, the the philosophy in terms of a bunch of players they don't like. You know, if, if, if you want to get the Everton fans on side, you need kind of tough uh, redoubtables who go to war for you, all that kind of stuff. And they got this mishmash of players they got from all over the place who who themselves now don't know, like it's going to take them years to dig out from this unless they get very lucky and start making really good hires at director of football and manager. Uh, I hear the talk is maybe Martinez with Thierry Henry if if they can get the right deal right on all sides. So I guess that'll, that'll have a little more Arsenal interest for us. Mm, yeah. I mean, Tim, b- before we really, really swing to full-on Arsenal issues. I mean, as as you look at the competitive landscape in the Premier League and you look at these clubs that are sort of putting themselves into a wasteland, for you know, United can't get their act together, Everton really look like a mess. I mean, what do you attribute this to? I mean, is is this just the same as it always was and maybe we weren't as attuned to things like squad building and resource deployment and stuff? Or is it the case that the rising tide that lifted all the boats means that now you know, if if you don't get it quite right, these clubs that once upon a time couldn't compete regardless can compete and bypass you. I mean, wh- why would a club like Everton otherwise find themselves in such, such disarray? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I, th- I think it's always happened um, to an extent, probably not quite to this extent. I think it, I think it's actually more to do with what's happening at, at the very top. Mm-hmm. And there's, um, I think Ken Early uh, wrote a great piece about Man City <clears throat> in the Irish Times today, which I, I really, really recommend. And, and just about like, I guess, the grinding relentlessness and therefore <laughs> the, the fact that it's just their dominance is quite boring. And one of the reasons it's quite boring is because it just doesn't really look breakable because <clears throat> they, they've, they've bought perfection 
um, effectively, and there, there just isn't that sense of jeopardy. And I think, I think when you've got loads of like Arsenal have done stupid things in the last few years, Tottenham have been doing stupid things, Everton have been doing stupid things, Villa got themselves relegated not long ago. Like when these things keep happening, I think what it tells you is that it's just really, really damn hard. It's really hard now to get into. Like I actually have sympathy with Everton, not that they've done things well, but like. You've got to try and do something, and all Everton have really got is money. Like a, a an owner who nearly became, or who tried to become our owner, actually, <clears throat> and and that's kind of all they've got. Like, what else do you do to try and get it? Even like you're talking about, like the top six, like e- even you know, even us, the mighty us, Arsenal, like talking about, like how do you even fucking qualify for the Europa League these days, like? get knocked out of it so you have a season without it and then maybe you can sneak into the top six like it's it's hella competitive but the reason it's it's so competitive is not necessarily because we've reached some nirvana where everyone's great it's because a couple of those spots at the top are just on complete reserve and that puts that puts a big squeeze on all the spots below it and like i look at aston villa at the moment and aston villa are like they're, they're like a good club. They've clearly got resources. They're trying to do good things. And it's like, brilliant. You might finish eighth. Well done. You know? Mm. <laughs> and be- because, like, it's just, it's so, so hard. And it's just, you know, the, the wealth gaps are big anyway. But particularly when, like, you know, what are we talking through? You know, even with even with Man United as a complete basket case, right? That They're definitely going to finish in the top six at the very least and that would that would be like six would be terrible for them but they're still going to get there at the very least so that's basically like the at least five of the top six spots are just not open to anyone else and that creates a pressure and particularly when there's so much money coming into the game or that albeit a lot of it leaves um because it goes in players pockets and agents pockets and things like that you know like what else do you do if you're Everton or you're Aston Villa and, you know, Arsenal went the kind of, oh, shit, let's try and buy some, like, finished product 29-year-olds to get us back into Europe. Like, of course it creates desperation and scrabbling. And and I think it's um, I think it's really unhealthy uh, for the league, um, yeah. actually. Not, not that the league has ever been an absolute picture of health in that respect, but I think the extent of this now is... I, I do think that, like, something has to change, but it's very difficult to see what that's going to be and to see what, you know, it's difficult to imagine any kind of consensus on what, what like a new world of football would look like because not enough clubs would agree basically. Yeah. I mean, look, I I am going to take the unusual position of just enjoying the shit out of other clubs suffering for the time being, because I don't see anything changing long-term. And like we had our years of, re-signing aging players to big contracts and signing Willian for God knows why and going out and buying a ton of aging crap to to fill our squad player roles. And now we've got this beautiful young team being led by this, you know, potentially really quite special young manager, we hope at least, and we'll find out. And like, and we seem to be on the up. And meanwhile, Manchester United, shockingly, somehow 47-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo didn't fix them. And, you know, Everton hired their most hated rivals, you know, one of their most celebrated famous coaches. And weirdly that didn't work out. And it's just, I guess I got to kind of enjoy it because I don't really have any other answer, but I do think there is a little bit of like the keeping up with the Joneses problem, the way you described it, Tim, which is that like, 
you move into a neighborhood and your neighbor buys a, a Lexus. So maybe you feel like you should trade in the Honda for something fancy, for an Acura or something. And, you know, they get this and you then go get that. And like, that's kind of how capitalism works. But like, what if the neighbor that moves in next to you is like Jeff Bezos and they buy a rocket ship? And you're like, well, I, I guess I should buy a rocket ship and mortgage the house and mortgage the kids and buy a rocket ship. And like, I can't afford a rocket ship. So I wind up buying a shitty rocket ship and then that rocket ship crashes and now I'm broke. Like this is a very tortured analogy, but I think there is some of that, some of the pushing up of the money in the league that outstrips the growth of the revenue in the league is causing some clubs to behave in ways that are not sustainable. And as long as it's not us now, I, uh, I can celebrate that and I can enjoy that. But we all know the ticking time bomb of something like a Super League idea that lurks in the background as a result of that. So Clive, we do have football coming up. We are going to play a second leg of a League Cup and we are going to play against Burnley without Granite Shack in both instances, maybe with some incomings. Do you suspect that that could happen? The other thing is also like, I mean, we may only have one game till Thomas Party is back. I think just maybe the Burnley game. So, I mean... It is an interesting moment because if we can grit our teeth and get through the League Cup and find a way past Burnley, suddenly the situation looks less dire and the need to go do business we don't want to otherwise do isn't there. You know, the emergency kind of deal. So how do you think we'll we'll try to play that out? Yeah, so um, obviously Thursday, I'm not sure what you're going to do, but I don't suspect someone's going to come in. I, I, I was more hopeful He's going to do a back three, right? Well, and yeah, just- potentially. Um I would do that because you've got more of those players available. The Tommy Asu thing seems to be a little bit strange. I'm not sure what's going on there. It's just quiet on the updates. If I've missed one, from someone please tell me. But um, that's that's a little bit of a worry. I hope he'll be back for, for Burnley. Um, you know, I'd have to go back free and I would have to sort of help supplement midfield because you can stride out into midfield from your back three because you overload their, their front men. But hey, look, it's going to be a mix and max period. I think the, the game being off has really allowed us to ease some muscles and ease some knocks because it's obvious from the Liverpool game last week, we lost Chambers, we lost Cedric. We're not quite sure how badly. Odegaard, we don't know where he is. Smithrow, worryingly, didn't seem to be reappearing. And so there is a few people there that we've got no clarity over of their time they're going to be out for. This feels like a critical period. And if we get through it, we I really feel the pathway into February and March looks looks quite positive. But I'm not convinced we're gonna get through this one scot free. You know, I just I just got a feeling it's gonna it's gonna hurt us. But we'll see, right? Because there if I cast my mind back to ages ago when we played Liverpool, we were all massively positive because of the how we played, the unity on the pitch. And since then Unity has been the word, hasn't it? So hopefully when we get back on the pitch on Thursday night, the atmosphere is amazing and we can just lift the team past a team that I'm fast beginning to dislike in Liverpool. And I know Tim was talking earlier and I was thinking about, you know, the next cycle. And every time you think nothing's going to change, something does change. And you're looking at Liverpool. And if we start the season, we didn't think for a second we'd be anywhere near the top four. Now May United have crumbled a little bit. Right? So I'm looking at Liverpool, great side, but they are a team that's getting older. you know. And so this will change in time. All you can do is just be smart. Keep being smart. Keep pushing. Keep being smart. Keep doing the right recruitment and see where we end up. Yeah, I mean, we... 
we don't play, after Burnley, we don't play again until February 10th. And the, the picture can just look so different then. Now, Burnley at home, Paul, that's that's what I think you call a banker. It needs to be three points. And I think with this Liverpool <clears throat> tie sitting there in front of us, you you know, this is where Shaka having had the second red card really hurts, right? Because you'd love to just get it out of the way here and have him for the Burnley game and everybody's fine. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. If you're Mikel Arteta, you're in a pretty good position, as you, as good as you're ever going to be against a team as strong as Liverpool, to go through to a cup final. You got one league game you absolutely cannot drop points in until you're basically back to, fingers crossed, quote-unquote, hope on hope, full strength for Wolves after the international break. So how do you think he needs to navigate that? Because, I mean, you know me, you know how Whiskers goes. I still think the more important game is Burnley at home, but I am sure that most people don't agree, and I, I doubt that Arteta does. Paul, you are on mute. And you are still on mute, and now at risk of losing your chance to answer what was clearly <laughs> no, no. not a question at all. No, no, I'm ready. Okay. Um, it's, it's fine, because there was no question mark. How would, you, how would you know it was your time to talk? Except for the pause. I, I, I'd just like to apologize to the listeners to be wasting their time. I know the time is valuable, and I, I must have caused them four, five, six, seven seconds. I don't know. Well, plus all the time you're going to spend speaking, but that's different. Yeah, Yeah, keep going. But I'll shorten my answer. We need to go super strong against Liverpool, get into the final of uh, this funny little cup, the Carabao Cup, win that. Silverware is always good. Build our winning streak. And then the day after, ask for a COVID postponement for Burnley and boil all the piss. (laughs) Oh, speaking of that, by the way, since you're talking about boiled piss, one of my favorite funny things that came out of this postponement debacle is Spurs putting out a statement, a strongly worded statement where they lamented having been kicked out of the Europa conference league because of COVID or whatever. It's like, why do you even want to remind anybody you were associated with that? But anyway, continue. And I think you can even see the pauses in their statement as they try and remember what the name of the, <laughs> what the name of it was. Europa. You were kicked out of the ellipse. Dot, ellipse. Dot, dot. ellipse. <laughs> <laughs> that, that thing where we played at that stadium where, you know, there were, there were, where there were cows grazing. Yeah. Uh, ahead, look, the, the problem for Mikel Arteta is the problem uh, it was last weekend and it'll be next weekend, which is the midfield. He can put out reasonable solutions for both games in every other position, I think. Uh, but what's he do on the midfield? He's got one player. Um, and so I don't... The, the simple answer is I don't know what he should do in any of the games and neither does he. Uh, the He should get a, a signing in, Arthur Mello from... Uh, where is he, Juventus, kind of on hold at the moment because they can't find a, repla- a player to replace him. We should send w- one of our midfielders that we don't want to play to Juventus as a loanee so that they can get us Arthur Mello. I don't know. But like, it, it doesn't it all come down to the midfield? That's the real issue here. Yeah, yeah. We, mm-hmm. we have options across the back line. We have options across the attack in reality. They'll be somewhat rested. Um like at this stage, how do we not try and win the Liverpool game after all the, I know it's not the competition we got the postponement in, but like they're all making smart comments. Jamie Carragher, Klopp's got something to say on postponements. You know, everybody's got a kind of snide comment. It's hard. Uh, I just, especially as well, having kind of gone down to 10 men and that heroic victory, you don't flush that away by putting out a half-assed team. I don't know that we have a choice, Elliot. Do you? I mean, 
I mean, look, I, I, mean, I, I mean, always, what, what would you do to to kind of weaken the team to protect it for the well? Like, that so that's a really good point, right? I guess I guess that is a good point. Which is, let's say you want to rotate a rest or whatever the case is. Who the hell is who the hell is there? Yeah, um, you shouldn't I put mean, anybody at risk. So I'm the player, on that. Don't put the, anybody at risk. The players that I would say like. I feel like Saka is just playing so much freaking football and that international break's not going to be a rest for him either. So it's like I Saka would be a player that I think God, you cannot play him every single game. I realize taking Saka out, you say, where's where's the threat going to come from to win this tie? I think Lacazette's another one because an energetic Lacazette linking and dialoguing well with the midfield against Burnley is just a tool that I think makes us a very difficult proposition. But I don't, you know, then what do you do? Do you go in Kedia and no Saka? And who do you play instead of Saka? Because I'm not even sure who would be available. I mean, do you go with someone from the academy? So, I mean, so the problem with that, is, though, if you take out Saka and uh, Lacazette, they're so core to how we play, you put a huge burden on the other nine players. I don't players disagree. I, I don't disagree. Yeah, I, like, I, yeah. If the physios and the medics look at Saka and Lacazette and say, they're good then we're it's it's a tough one because you're kind of protecting them for not a great reason you know what i mean the, like you know they could be two of our fitter players and and getting fitter every day at some stage you've got to protect uh saka the question is is now the moment i mean maybe could you could you start without them and give them 30 minutes to win you the tie late i mean you could even do something crazy like use Tavares as a winger um and, and again i realize the more sensible thing is to just play your players and th- hope that they have enough in the tank to beat what looks this season like a pretty poor Burnley, especially at home, but like with a midfield of, you know, Lacon- Sam Lukonga and, and you or me or yeah. Clive or Tim. So I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Uh, and kind of uh, t- to summarize my take on these things, easy for me to say, um, hmm. it can be more protective to play a lot as long as you're not in the orange-red zone. And it can be more protective to play your strong team uh, of the overall team. So, you you know, it is a bit of a trade-off when you do this, ooh, I'll, I'll protect a player or I'll, I'll dial back the team a little bit. Yeah, and, you can open and, it right up to the one thing, you, the wolf you're trying to keep from the door. And as Clive has pointed out, we have five subs. I don't know yeah. if that changes either point side. Pointed out in chat, I should mention, not not just that you he, he whispered it into our ears. Um, and, and to be fair, uh, we, you know, we didn't play at the weekend. So that exhaustion that you saw at the end of the first leg – there should be some recovery for that. We don't know who's going to be back. Tim, I'll finish with you just in this. I don't think we have any news, right? So we don't know the deal with Odegaard yet. We don't know the deal with nope. Tomiyasu. We don't know the deal with Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, I mean, obviously, having any of them back changes his ability to rotate a bit or not rotate. It changes how we feel in terms of enough enough depth to handle the weekend. Because I wouldn't, for example, I wouldn't have loved an odegaard Sambi Lakanga double pivot against Spurs away in the Derby. But yeah. maybe you feel like you, you know, Smith Rowe, Samby, or an Odegaard Samby, or Smith Rowe, Odegaard, and Samby three in a four three three against Burnley at home is enough. So, do you think a lot of this also hinges on the updates that we just don't know right now, and that that's going to drive a lot of the decision making? One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we got we got the last game postponed because we literally couldn't play out thirteen players. So. It, it really, and you know, I think Arsenal have probably been deliberately vague about a few players who are carrying knocks like Cedric, Saka, Chambers towards the end. <clears throat> I mean, I imagine they were all submitted as 
injured for the Spurs game. So who knows if they'll be back for Thursday. So I, I, I do think it will be probably a simple availability thing, although I wouldn't be surprised to see that those players probably recovered um, for this game. So it, it, it will. I I mean, for me, I, I'd go pretty much as strong as possible. I think having done what we did in the first leg and fought so hard to keep this tie even, you know, and, and I do think this is going to be like a big occasion. I know Clive's referenced this, referenced this a few times. Just look on Twitter for the amount of people who are looking for tickets for this. Um, and, and I say this completely uncritically, right, as, as someone who hasn't been to every game this season by any means. But, you know, when the draw was made, yeah, the game sold out, but it's like more people want tickets now, um, particularly after the first leg. Like it feels like it matters more. And I, I'm pretty sure the players feel like that. And, and I think you can go down the wrong the wrong route sometimes and I've seen this plenty of times where you've got that kind of maybe momentum's too overstating it but you've got that kind of good feeling and then you go and play like a bit of a a shadow team in a like I I don't really think the Nottingham Forest game I I wasn't on the pod after that but like I can compartmentalize that completely because Mm -hmm. I think if either win the FA Cup or go out in the third round. That's that's my assessment of it. But I think once you're in the second leg of a semi-final, having fought so hard for a nil-nil in the first leg, I, I, I think you go for it. Um, and, and if anything, I might be more tempted to rest a player or two against Burnley, assuming that game even goes ahead, because we don't know what Burnley's availability is going to be like at the moment. Um, and I'd feel more comfortable perhaps having Saka on the bench against Burnley and bringing him on for the last half an hour of that game, for example, which is not, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't really have in my mind, like which of those games is more important. I just, I just think that. Um, I think that you can manage both of them, particularly with like a bit of a break in fixtures. I appreciate that some of those players will be playing internationals, but we've still got the weekend off after that because we don't have that Chelsea game anymore. So um, I think it's going to be a big occasion, big crowd. I think those players are really, really going to want this as well. Um, I think they showed that in the first leg anyway. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Yeah, and and like I think they'll think, oh, okay, we, we've got a real, we've given ourselves a real chance of a final here and and a lot of players you know in fact it's harder to think of players in our team who have played a final than than who haven't um quite frankly so I I think it would be a really good experience for them anyway but yeah I'm I'm all for like full power go for it having done what you did in the first leg like absolute full steam ahead um and then after Burnley worry about what you need to worry about yeah you know what I got to say, in retrospect, I sort of agree with that. I mean, you look at the narrative about Liverpool cheating to get the thing postponed, then we go out of the FA Cup, we put in a heroic performance, uh, down to 10 men at Anfield, walk off the pitch totally spent and exhausted, get the derby postponed. Now we have that rest to be up for this game. You don't want to undermine the good feeling and the energy and effort that was put in in the first leg. Go win it here. It's a feather in your cap. Maybe just the exuberance from that lifts you to find a you know the well of of re- the reserve that you need of energy to go beat uh, Burnley at home at the weekend, and then you get a couple weeks off international players notwithstanding. As I said at the top, not going to deal with the Aubameyang thing. Maybe later this week, as we know more, we can talk about it. My hope is that some of the rumors aren't true. If they are, you know, maybe something just going on with that player right now. As for his medical side of things, um, you know, that's something that you hope isn't serious, but you also wish him well. And there's there's no good way to discuss that without speculating on things that I think are a little 
difficult to speculate on in any kind of reasonable, respectable way. So we will resist doing that now. We will have a scouting video tomorrow, probably on a midfielder. More on that and on. We'll have the instant reaction after the Liverpool tie. We'll probably have a uh, live stream pre-match and a regular pod Friday because of the game on Thursday. So hope you enjoyed Arsenal being the champions of narrative, champions of social media, hopefully the champions of League Cup and you know, sometime soon, Champions League, and back into the Champions League. Lots of champion stuff going on. Tim's on Twitter, still better. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Positive My Fans. Thanks, Bob. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool 0. 